Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. Are you looking for a way to connect with your loved one? Maybe an activity you can do together instead of sitting around answering the same questions over and over again? Have you checked out two lap books yet? If you haven't, you're missing out on something that I'm certain you and your loved ones will thoroughly enjoy. Two lap books have changed many of the visits I've had with mom tremendously. These simple read aloud books were created specifically for memory challenged adults. You see, people living with Alzheimer's eventually lose their ability to initiate conversation with others. Because of this, these uniquely adapted books, quote, give voice to these loved ones. By using the book's large, simple text and beautiful, colorful illustrations, we can initiate conversations. Most noteworthy, we can make meaningful connections with our loved ones and help stimulate their mind. Caregivers will enjoy sharing these books and creating purposeful, interactive activities for engaging people with memory deficits. Reading these books together could very likely bring out memories you can cherish together. There's a link in the show notes to the My Favorite Things page on my website. The page is linked to the Amazon pages of all my favorite books and products that have helped me with my mom over the years. Definitely check it out. I'm certain you'll find something that will help you like they helped me. That's why I created this page for you. And if you ever run across something that is beneficial to your life and helping you with your loved ones, please let me know. On today's episode, I have a fantastic conversation with author and dementia daughter, Anne Campanella. Anne wrote the book, Motherhood Lost and Found. She was coping with a mother with Alzheimer's while also trying to become a mother herself. We have a fantastic conversation about the ups and downs of caring for a mother with Alzheimer's while also caring for children. I'm sure you'll get a lot out of this, and I hope that you take a look at her book, Motherhood Lost and Found. It's linked on the My Favorite Things page. So let's welcome Anne. Good afternoon, Anne. Thanks for joining me. Good afternoon, Jen. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. So tell me a little bit about your mom and your journey. I would be happy to. Um, When I was in my early 30s, my mom uh, began to develop signs of Alzheimer's. My husband and I had just moved from Houston to North Carolina, Houston, Texas to North Carolina, and we were looking forward to starting a family. We were going to bring my horse home. I was going to teach riding lessons, and uh, I'm a freelance journalist, and so I had all kinds of great jobs lined up. My husband had good work. Everything was going well in our family, um, our family of two. And then suddenly my mother started showing signs of Alzheimer's at the same time I had my first miscarriage Mm. and I was just kind of unprepared for, um, for that kind of illness. I really had no idea what we were stepping into and she was actually ill for 14 years before she died. Well, my mom, I think has had the disease for about 18, possibly longer Wow. Looking back, we think she might have started showing signs in 
mid-1995, which puts her possibly showing signs of Alzheimer's at an age that is six months older than I am now. Wow. Yeah. And she's physically terrific, walks fine. You know, she doesn't have any physical challenges, but her memory is just gone. Yes. And, you know, it's funny, looking back with my mom, too, it, Alzheimer's probably showed up much earlier than we were really aware of because we weren't looking for it. Um, and it was about 20 some years ago that my mom began showing signs. So very similar to your mom. And I actually wrote the book that I felt like I needed to read when I was losing my mom. There were not a lot of personal stories being written at that time. And I just felt like I wanted something that was going to help me not just give me the, the steps to, you know, how to communicate or, you know, what to do about this, but I wanted a story that would give me some hope, some inspiration, help me know that I wasn't going crazy um, because I, I thought, I don't know anybody else who's going through this. And I'm at an age where my friends are all having their own families and they are not focused on, you know, this kind of caregiving at all. And so I thought there must be other people out there who really need, they need to read something that's going to give them a map to how to, how to get through something this difficult. So that's really how I began writing my book. That's awesome. I, I started the podcast because I was searching for information on how to connect with my mom, how to have more meaningful visits. Mm. All of the traditional advice did not apply. And I don't know if that's because she's in the later stages or just because the disease has affected her brain differently than, say, the average, which is kind of a misnomer. I mm-hmm. tried the looking through old scrapbooks of pictures of my sister and I. That was painful. I took oh, her wedding okay. album with me one day and we looked through that and that was a little better. She recognized herself and parents and my dad who passed away March 2nd of 2017. Mm-hmm. But she didn't Sorry. recognize siblings, cousins, or any of the other family members who are at her wedding. And yes. of course, they're not labeled as to who each person is. So I have no idea who they are. So those are, that's some lost history. Mm -hmm. And she's very good at asking the typical same question over and over again. And occasionally like this week, she asked me, well, what have you been up to? Pause. Probably not a lot. Right. And I had the hardest time not laughing at her because my life, as you know, from our little, kerfluffle with (laughs) scheduling that I screwed up on is absolutely bonkers right now. My husband's running for city council. We're both self-employed. I'm growing Mm -hmm. this business while running my other business. I mean, it's just like Mm. there's days I feel like a dog chasing my tail. And my first reaction was just to laugh. And then it dawned on me. She has no clue who I am. I mean, she would never say that to me if she knew who she was talking to. So it's, 
It's yeah. been frustrating. And that was the whole point of the podcast was to find other people going through this. My support group has a tendency to be older people because mm-hmm. um, my mom is only 75. Uh, yes. Yeah. So it's, it's challenging. I frequently at the support group am closer to the grandchildren dealing with grandparents than I am with other caregivers. I'm, I'm yeah. I kind of in the, in the middle. It's, it's, I definitely can relate to that because uh, I, I, in fact, I went to a support group at one point and I felt like I was the children of those people who were going to the support group and they were going for their parents. And I thought they really can't understand what I'm going through. And they sort of had their own things they needed to talk about. So that ended up not being what I needed. Um, But it's so interesting now, um, now that I'm after my mom passed away in 2007. So it's been about 11 years Um, I have found a community with a a group called All's Authors, and uh, the management team is all made up of basically daughters of dementia who have had a similar experience to me, and they have all written books. They're various types of books from children's books to novels to memoir, and we just had this immediate sisterhood because each of us understands and I feel like you're in a similar situation. We, we know what it's like to feel so alone in that caregiving role. Even when you've got a lot of other things going on in your life, people don't understand what it's like to have that kind of loss on a daily, you know, moment by moment basis. And when mm-hmm. your, your mother's memories are fading and it's like a part of you is fading because we're not there. She's not there. And I, um, it, as you were talking, I thought, I remember talking to my mom and telling stories and she was like your mom. She didn't recognize photographs usually. And so I would start to tell her stories of things that she had told me. And as I sort of continued with these stories, she would fill in little bits. I wasn't always sure if they were true, but I think, you know, parts of them were. And in the earlier stages of her disease, I just made, because stories are so important to me, I made a special effort to really spend time just sharing these stories and then trying to ask questions and whatever sort of gentle way I could to get her to tell just a little bit more about what she had lived through and that that did seem to work for a while yeah unfortunately my mom I think is beyond that we had a conversation yeah. a week and a half ago mm-hmm. where I, t- I try to t- she lives in a memory community and so I try to take her out for little adventures um to be be one with nature she loves to watch kids in the park Mm-hmm. And we do that a lot. Yes. You know, the weather's changing, so that's going to be a little more challenging as we go forward. But we were out and about, and she's always commenting on how stunned she is about the growth in this town, which 
tells me that she's remembering it way back when because yeah the area that we're in hasn't changed a lot in 30 years right so she started talking about when her grandfather passed away mm-hmm. her grandma their, her grandparents were out here they were in they were about 40 or so miles away when they were when her grandfather passed away her dad up and moved the whole family out here to where we live now. Mm-hmm. So I started asking her questions that I knew the answer to. Yes. Oh, was that on such and such road? Oh, I don't remember. And I asked, I remember when they first moved out here, stories she told me they moved into, and I don't remember the name of the coffee company, but it was like a farmhouse that was owned by the people that had this coffee company. And mm-hmm. I asked her about that and got a big blank. It was like, okay, so apparently we have a teeny tiny little bit of memory of moving out here, but not anything else. I thought that was very interesting. And I, I yes, try not to ask too many questions that get essentially the I don't know answer because I'm assuming that would be really frustrating. Probably and, so. Yeah, so I don't want to frustrate her or upset her. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get a lot out of her at that point either. So, but it was interesting that she brought that up. I don't know if you're aware, most of my listeners should be, is that my mom is the third generation with complete cognitive failure at the end of their life. Yes, I remember you saying that. I've listened to several of your podcasts and it actually made me think, you know, I wonder about my family because I know my mother had some, my grandmother had cognitive issues at the end of her life, but they, it was never called Alzheimer's. It was more called senility. Um, but I thought, you know, there were several years that she was taken care of by, um, basically a family who moved into her house. Um, she lived in New York and, during that time, you know, we would come and visit her and she was often in her bed. I was just, I was young in elementary school, so I didn't question it. But looking back, I think she probably had possibly Alzheimer's or some kind of dementia. And then before that, who knows, people just in my family didn't talk about that kind of thing. So, you know, it's very possible. It's a little scary also to... Definitely. Yeah. My my great grandmother, when my mom and my grandmother were much younger and had memories, that's what they called it was senility. And yes. my grandmother lived one one town over from Alameda. I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother would have to travel to to where her mom is and deal with her. And I remember stories my mom would say about her grandmother, you know, putting a plastic bowl of water on the stove to boil and issues like that. She died Mm. before I was born. Uh So I don't have a lot of information about her. And the interesting thing with my grandmother, she had a brain aneurysm that leaked for three months. I remember you talking about that. Yeah. Before it was repaired. Mm -hmm. And they didn't really 
I mean, she essentially had no chance of surviving without the surgery, but they only gave her a 5% chance of surviving even with it. Apparently they didn't know my grandmother very well because Mm -hmm. that woman was super ornery and you did things her way or you did things her way. Those were your options. And she survived. And wherever the blood touches the brain, the brain is permanently damaged. And she was, you know, pretty fine afterwards. I mean, she definitely had some issues, but she went downhill from there. And in Mm -hmm. dealing with my mom, I talked to her doctor and said, now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm, I'm not any good at science, but where, wherever the blood touched the brain, the brain is permanently damaged. It's not going to get better or worse. And he says, that's correct. I'm like, because she went downhill, not immediately, but slowly, just like my mom was doing. And he goes, oh, no, she had something else. So I'm, I'm convinced, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. that she had undiagnosed Alzheimer's. It sure sounds like it. Yeah. And and she had all the signs that my mm-hmm. mom has. And yes. she was my mom started showing symptoms about the time my grandmother started getting really bad. So mm-hmm. my grandmother started sh- getting bad towards the end of her 70s and passed away at 91. Uh-huh. My mom, my mom was in a car accident in December of 91. She was born in 45, so mm. I don't remember how old she was, and my math's no good. <laughs> I'm an artist. I'm no good at those things. And I'm wondering if that accelerated the issues because she smashed her face so hard on the steering wheel that it permanently damaged the nerve that comes through your cheekbone. Wow. Yeah, I've done a lot of reading, and it does seem like any type of head injury can exacerbate or bring on or make it come sooner um, Alzheimer's or dementia. And, you know, it makes sense when you think about it, if the brain's been traumatized. Um, but gosh, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I thought. I did have a concussion in September of 95. So I think I might be out of the woods on that one since that was what, 23 years ago? little more yeah, let's let's hope so well the only the only issue is is I crashed on my bicycle in May of 2016 and knocked myself out completely and they mm. did do a cat scan and they said I didn't have a concussion uh-huh but it's kind of hard to believe you knock yourself out completely <laughs> you don't have a concussion so yeah. hopefully that one wasn't the trigger <laughs> hopefully not yes I know I, I was thinking back to when I was a kid I had a mild concussion after falling off of a horse during a, a jumping event. And I remember the room spinning and, um, and I was talking to a doctor oh, a couple of years ago who said, well, you know, these brain injuries, they don't heal themselves unless you, you know, actually do something. And I thought, well, you know, what can you do other than, you know, going inside, but he had some other things that are, possible to do which I I couldn't even repeat but it did make me wonder like oh dear am I carrying around the seed for something yeah I suppose all of us could be that's true because I've known people that have you know lived healthy lives lifestyles eaten healthy organic all this stuff and you know which is what they tell us we should do and they end up with the disease so 
I'm hoping that those people have other things that trigger it that are less obvious than eating poorly. And like my mother, I'm not sure I've ever mentioned this on any of the podcasts, but my mother would drink maybe four ounces of juice with breakfast and immediately start in on the Diet Coke. Oh, wow. And then she also switched uh, like many, many, many years ago to the caffeine-free, thinking that was better for you. And there's been research on how caffeine is actually beneficial for your brain. Yes. So I'm thinking, wow, you really didn't do yourself any favors. You got the the fake sugar and the carbonation and all that chemical crap, and then no caffeine. (laughs) Right. I do believe there's a gut-brain connection that... um, you know, we've done so much damage to our guts with the standard American diet that that I'm sure had some effect on my mom is my daughter actually has celiac disease and mm. there's not a, and for those who don't know, celiac disease is basically an intolerance, uh, a severe intolerance to gluten, uh, which is found in wheat. And um, there's not in the medical field there, they have not yet drawn a a definite connection between celiac and Alzheimer's, but I would, I predict that that will happen at some point just because I think the gut is so important to health, you know, in every layer of health that it can't help, but be a factor in Alzheimer's. Well, that's another interesting connection we have because my daughter who will be 27 in about five weeks, has Crohn's disease. Oh, does she? Yes, she does. Interesting. Yeah. Well, my next book is actually um, about celiac disease and my daughter's, the diagnosis and how our family transitioned our entire way of eating um, after that diagnosis. And how old is she? She is 17 now. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yes. She didn't get to spend any time with her grandmother then. Well, actually, she did spend her toddler years, and those were some of the sweetest moments. Um, I ended up having multiple miscarriages and really didn't even know if I would ever have a child. Um, And then my daughter came along just when we had pretty much given up. (laughs) And let's see, I think my daughter was about six by the time when my mother passed away. But so there were several years where I was actually taking my daughter to the nursing home and she would help me feed mom or she would push the wheelchair or she would throw a ball back and forth. So they were, there were times even when I, I was clipping both of their fingernails and giving both of them sponge baths and doing similar things and thinking, gosh, this is crazy. You know, I've got two people on either end, you know, one is, has just been born and the other is very close to death and they're at the same stage. And then as my daughter would stop uh, or would start to learn new words, my mother was losing her words. And so um, it was just a, a really wild experience to be right in the middle of that and to be kind of balancing the two. And that was probably when I, I realized just how important it was to not be working so hard to be 
doing particular things for my mom, but to just be so that I could feel what it was like to be living, you know, with a daughter and with a mother and just absorb, you know, the beauty and the simplicity of just the pure existence and how special it was that three generations could be in one room at one time. And, you know, having not known if that would ever happen, it just gave me such a sense of peace and joy to actually have the three of us there together. That's really nice. Oh, thanks. I I have a little bit of the opposite. My daughter and my mom were very, very close. They baked cookies. They did all kinds of things. We had a family business together. And on my mom's day off, she would have my daughter in the afternoon. And then my daughter was with us at the business. So my mom was definitely grandma, but there were some times when she had to put her foot down and be, you know, you're not crossing the line here, kid. And so right. my daughter just loves her grandmother, but the way my mom is now, my poor daughter can't, she just cannot cope with the loss. And mm. when we first moved my mom into the memory community, my sister, <laughs> my paternal grandmother, who is a hundred and a half as of last week. Wow. Yeah. And fine, except for visually, um, mostly blind due to glaucoma we mm-hmm. would all kind of go in mass and I got my daughter to go one day with us and we opened the door and my mom bursts into tears. And I thought my daughter was going to run for the parking lot and I've been able to get her to go back with me a couple times, but it's just mm. emotionally devastating for her. She's always telling me, I don't know how you do it. And I'm like, I don't know how I do it either. And right now with life being super insane, it's mm-hmm. harder because it's almost impossible mentally to slow down into her reality. Yes. Yes. I have a little story to share about. Oh, good. I could use that. Um, well, it just, it reminded me of, there was a time, this was before my daughter was born, when I thought to myself, I really, I just want to spend some time with mom. She was always up and down with her health. And it felt like she was on the edge of death multiple times. And she had been at one of those phases. And then she sort of took a few steps back. And I thought, okay, I'm going to make a special effort to just do something really special for her. She loves nature. She loves the water and the ocean. And we live in North Carolina. And so I took her to the beach and I thought, um, I'm going to just take her in her wheelchair and push her out onto the pier so that she can, you know, see the seagulls and listen to the, the waves and just enjoy. It was a beautiful spring day. So I got her out of the car, got to the bottom of the pier and there's this ramp. <laughs> and I thought, this is going to be tough just to get my mom up, up to the pier. And eventually I did get her up there. Um, You know, I'm sweating. I'm like, Oh my gosh, let me just get her up there. And she's sitting there. I'm thinking, okay, now our beautiful day is going to start. And a moment later, 
we're just, we're sitting there, the waves are sort of gently um, lapping against the, the pilings. And she says, um, she says, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and mom has diapers, but she doesn't know whether she needs them or not. She's forgotten that she even has diapers. And so, you know, I'm like thinking, do I tell her, just don't worry about it, just go. Or do I, you know, treat her with dignity, take her to a bathroom, which that's what I ended up doing. Um, we, we get there and that was its own uh, just crazy time because we had to go into a hotel that was on the ocean. And I pretended that we were um, visiting the hotel or that we were staying there and then getting her into this bathroom that was not really equipped for seniors having to deal with things. Um, and then we, we finally just got back to the car and I thought, forget it. Um, so the next day, all right, I'm going to do something easier. So I took mom just to a little spot in the car where we could just stop and look at the sound, which is the, bit of water that's between the mainland and the outer banks. And so I just parked in a place and we could see the sound and there were boats going by. And again, it was a beautiful day. I unrolled the windows and I, I'm just sitting there with mom. And a moment later, she's asleep. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this, this is what this is. And I thought, you know, let me just relax and enjoy this moment. She's asleep, but it's okay. We're here. We're together. And a few minutes later, she did actually wake up. And she, um, I don't know if she saw the sailboat or it may have just been me. And I, I pointed it out to her. And we just, we had a little moment there because she, she had loved sailing growing up. And she when she was cognizant enough, she would think about her father who would take her sailing. And so just even in my mind, for me to be able to sort of revisit that memory, whether or not I could take her with me, at that moment I realized it didn't matter as much as I thought it did. It just mattered that I could be there with her. And so, you know, so much of this disease in my mind or what I came to gradually was just learning to let go. Um, and, you know, it's not easy. And especially as a somewhat immature 30-year-old, uh, uh, I just, I needed those lessons. And I, I'll say now that I'm on the other side and I'm in my 50s, I can really say how much that taught me. And as much as it was hard and I wouldn't choose to go through it again, I also wouldn't give it up because I, I have learned so many really deep heartfelt lessons from that time in my life. I'm still learning. I'm sure. I'm sure. And I don't mean to act like, you know, I've got it all figured out because I, I don't. And I think it's, it is just part of the life process. And, you know, some of us have, well, every journey is different and, some are longer and some are shorter and some are more windy. And, you know, if we can just trust, trust in the process and know that it's, 
it's going the way it's meant to go and that we don't really have the control we think we do. And for so many years, I thought if I could just, you know, be there more for mom, if I could, you know, give her more of my attention, say the right things, do the right things, be the best daughter I could be. Maybe I could fix this. And I really gradually realized I can't. And it's really, it, it's my responsibility to do what I can, but I, I'm not God and I can't step beyond, you know, my own personhood. I, I can do what I can do and then I have to let it go and, and allow nature to take its course. And, oh boy, that's such a hard lesson. No, definitely. I don't ever feel that anything I can do can fix it. One of my mm-hmm. frustrations is she doesn't, if she doesn't recognize something as hers, if it's a new item, yes. lost a lot of weight. So my sister bought her new pants and I had earlier in the year purchased with her. I mean, we took her, you know how it is for shopping for ladies. You got to, you got to try stuff on. So I took her and bought summer, you know, capris and lighter weight clothing for the summer because everything she had was practically falling off. And we were at -hmm. a very severe risk of an old lady wardrobe incident. So (laughs) no no wardrobe malfunctions, please. And my sister bought these, you know, I'm assuming talked her into it might be the right phrase. These dark dove gray pants that are slender legs, which is really good for her body type because she's very skinny and she has no buns. They look fantastic on her. I think she's worn them once. (laughs) It was a day that I visited and she complained bitterly about them. And I'm like, and they look so good on her. I mean, oh if, my if you were just looking at the lower half, you would never know that, you know, she had no memories and we were in the car and she just kept, I don't know why she was harping on these jeans because like, they weren't jeans, but these slacks mm-hmm. and I patted her leg and I said, Oh, but they look so good on you. And they were really soft. And I said, uh-huh. Oh man, they're really soft. And that kind of turned her around but I have not seen her in those since that day. And it's, I actually had to force her out of a sweater that I have seen her in seven of the last eight times. And I was looking through photographs the other day and I think she's worn that sweater probably predominantly this year. And we're talking, this is October 4th when Mm -hmm. we're talking. And I thought, Holy moly. And I had, they had switched her shower schedule to the evening. And a couple of weeks ago, I'd asked the staff, I said, is she giving you a hard time about getting dressed? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then they told me they were, she was giving a hard time about showers. And I was like, what's, you know, and I quizzed them a little more. And that's when I found out they switched to the evening. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. You guys switch it back because mm-hmm. mom was always a morning shower person. And if right. she did, something and it got to be about three thirty, four o'clock. It was more like, Oh, you know, I'll wash my face, brush my teeth. And, and that's it for the day because why, why shower this late in the afternoon when I'm going to shower tomorrow morning. So they right. switched her back 
but she's still giving them a hard time and they wanted me to know they tried really hard to get her to put on something different on Monday. Mm -hmm. And I said, Oh, I believe you. And I had told them to tell the night staff that when she got into bed, just to take the sweater out of the laundry basket, put it aside and I would pick it up. And then I realized, well, I've just been basically told the staff to steal my mom's clothes. That's probably not real good. And I knew that me telling them and them relaying it to somebody else, I'm like, let me, let me give this one more shot. So I, Mm-hmm. was getting her ready for the dinner hour. And I said, you know, you have this sweater on yesterday. You have it on today. And I said, it, it's dirty. And I pointed out where it was a little bit dirty. And she tried to argue with me. And I said, you know, I, I have to go and get back to work. And, and I got to take this sweater to the dry cleaner. So can you take it off for me? And I took the sweater home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's I not going back it. for a while. I totally relate. It's so funny. Speaking of gray pants, there was a pair of gray pants. My mother and I both had a sort of a tailored sweatpant kind of uh, pair of pants that she had bought. She'd bought a pair for me and one for her. And hers were like a size or two larger. But she was visiting me. And she found my pair hanging up uh, in the laundry room. And so she grabbed them and put them on. (laughs) She was showing me. She's like, and don't these pants look so nice? And I was like, mom, those are my pants. (laughs) And I was, you know, just thinking, oh, no, she's going to have an accident. And I really like these pants and I want them back. You know, and I was just acting like a child. But she was also acting like a child, and she's like, no, these are, they're not your pants, they're my pants. Look how nicely they fit. And she had lost some weight, like your mom. And I finally resorted to lying to her in order to get her out of my pants. <laughs> you know, mom, you can't tell, but they've got a spot on the back, and I really, I need to wash them and make sure, you know, they get soaked in the, the machine before I, uh, you know, I even get them going. And she eventually did uh, take them off, but it was, it was a fight. And I felt so, I felt bad that I was lying to my mom and I felt kind of stupid that I cared that much about my pants. But at that moment, I was just like, I just want my pants and I want my mom to be normal and she's not. And, uh, you know, those little things can just throw us over the edge, I think. Oh, I completely agree. There was my, I actually brought home two items of clothing of mom. She has a blouse that was the other wear more often than not item. My aunt went and visited and posted a picture on Facebook. And my sister texted me and said, does mom wear anything other than, you know, quote that shirt? And I said, well, she wears that one a lot, but she didn't have it on yesterday. So I think we're okay. So I thought, you know what? We're not going to default to that one. So I just brought that one and the sweater she's had on. I mean, she's had it on. It's three-quarter length sleeve, medium weight, you know, cotton acrylic sweater. And she's worn it when it's 95 degrees. <laughs> right. I mean, this is California. We, we are just now entering fall. The mornings and the evenings are cool. The days are warm. We're in the mid-70s, yeah. got a maybe couple, few days left of, of low 80s. 
So that's that's yeah. the current temperature. But she was wearing this sweater in July when it was 105. Yeah. And yes. I would try to get her to change because I didn't want her to overheat. And she doesn't mm-hmm. really like to drink water. I can get her to drink other things, but water mm-hmm. is obviously more important, especially when it's hot. And it's yeah. difficult because you don't want to insult them. Right. And oh my goodness, she's so fussy too. I I had to pick up photographs at Costco for a charity event I did. I'm also a photographer. I don't know if I mentioned that. Oh, yes. I I gathered that. <laughs> and they had these fantastic rain on like a medium length trench coat. So it was like almost knee length. Mom and I are, I'm five foot two. She used to be five, four. So Mm -hmm. she's about my height now, maybe even a little shorter at this point. And it was, it looked so good on her. And I'm like, you know, you really don't have a good jacket for the rain and you and I go out a lot. So it's, you know, it's starting to get to that time of year again. And I did everything to try to talk her into this $30 jacket. Would not hear. She was super hung up on the fact that the sleeves were too long. And I kept saying, we've had that problem our entire life. (laughs) Which reminds me, I keep, I need to write down this on a post-it note. My good winter jacket is the same thing. The sleeves are probably an inch and a half too long. And I'm always rolling them up and I hate that. So I've been threatening to take it to the dry cleaner, have it shortened for months. I better hurry up. Well, isn't it funny how, you know, our parents can, or mothers could be so forgetful about so many things, but boy, they're going to remember those details. Like, no, we can't have sleeves that are too long. It's just the thing that you don't, you think, well, if she could just forget that, everything would be okay and go a little smoothly, but no. Yeah, it's, I find it just... I understand the course of the disease. Somebody described it many years ago when she was in the earlier stages of it's like somebody opening your file cabinet drawers, reaching in and just flinging papers out the drawers and slamming it shut. You would have no idea that those papers are missing until you go looking for them. Mm. And I thought that's a really great explanation of the disease. Yeah, but the just you know the comforter on her bed. I so far so good. I think we've had it for about six weeks. I put a new duvet cover over it because it was just shabby. It's all faded. It's starting to get a little threadbare. And I'm like, you know, we got we got a little bit of money to buy a new comforter again. Right. It was missing for a couple of days, so she and I went out. She picked out a new one. I have no idea where that even went. It's totally been MIA for a long time. So I thought, okay, instead of buying a complete replacement, I'll just cover it up. And mm-hmm. that it, that hasn't disappeared yet, but I've had the area rug in her room wander off into her friend's room, which she had mm-hmm. to have helped with yes. because it was a different rug. Mm-hmm. The rug that she had, I had to bring home and clean. They... The community let her keep her dog, which was, there was definite pros and cons, but they are renovating and they were getting new carpet and her dog was horrible about letting anybody know she needed to go out. Mm-hmm. And oh she gosh. could come in from the courtyard and pee on the rug. 
oh, when dear. they said, we're getting new carpet, I'm like, oh, okay, it's time for the dog to go. Got mm-hmm. it. So I took her area rug out of her room to bring it home to clean. And they, my sister had had a second rug for her. That's fantastic. It's so much cuter. And the next week I show up and it's gone. And I was like, it was all yeah. I could do not to just lose my cool. Like, where is your bleeping rug? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh gosh. I know that that's one of those learning to let go lessons. I mean, well, I, fortunately I like- she's very, very close with another gal. And when I rolled out this rug, it's an off white background with plate sized buttons. And my mom was a seamstress and the buttons are all very bright colors with some interspersed black ones. So it's just mm-hmm. really vibrant and just, it's really nice. And even with the vibrant colors, it's not, it's not like, you know, some things that are vibrant are just almost too much because right. it's a simple pattern. It's, it's lovely. Well, her friend kept saying, I think that would look really good on that wall right there as a wall hanging. I'm thinking, yeah, right. This rug is not light. It's five by seven feet, so I'm not sure how in heaven I would hang it on the wall. Right. And I, but I, we talked about the rug for an hour after I put it down. Mm-hmm. So when I went the next week and the rug was gone, I'm like, oh, I know where that rug is. And of course, her <laughs> friend was in her room. She's a, an afternoon napper. So mm-hmm. I finally coaxed her out of her room, and the director of the memory community and I went in, <laughs> raided her room, and took the rug back. Raided it. Yeah, yes. Well, the other thing that's interesting is that when my mom's clothes disappear, generally that's where they end up. And there are clothes in my mom's closet that I know are the other gals. And I don't worry about that too much. As long as my mom's got enough mm-hmm. pants to change, you know, regularly, you know, she doesn't need seven different pair, but you know, right. three or four is a good number. And, yes. you know, so that she's clean and, and her clothes are clean. Yes. As long as she's got pants that work. I'm fine. Her friend is taller, so uh-huh. they don't share pants, but there was one day mom and I were going out and her blouse slipped off her shoulder a little bit. And I looked over and I was like, huh, wonder whose black sports bra that is. <laughs> I was just oh, like, whatever. I know. I know. I had the same, the same experience. My mom was uh, admitted to a local hospital for three weeks at one point. And I, she was just having lots and lots of testing. And this was before I'd gotten used to the fact that everything would wander away. And by the end of that three weeks, even part of, you know, I would be visiting almost daily. And each time I'd visit, I'd think, okay, she's wearing somebody else's clothes. Or sometimes I'd see another patient walk by with her shirt or her pants. And I'd be like, wait a minute. Uh, But by the end of those three weeks, when I packed up my mom to go, there was not a stitch of clothing that was actually hers that we packed. And I thought, well, we'll just pack other people's clothes. And, you know, who knows? They've got her stuff. And I mean, it's crazy, crazy. That's funny. Sort of a metaphor for uh, Alzheimer's. You end up with a suitcase full of clothes you don't recognize. That is true. I'm just always amazed. It's like, we buy you new things, you're with us, and and you help pick them out. And she does not remember them at all. But yet, stuff that's not even hers is familiar enough that she keeps it in her closet. I mean, I just, 
I'm unable to solve that mystery. <laughs> yeah, it, it is hard to comprehend, definitely. So tell me a little bit more about the Alzheimer's authors. And I know you guys have a big event coming up November 1st. Yes, um, we have an event November 1st, and then we have um, we have an event where we are hoping that all of our management team will get together in Chicago for the caregiving.com national caregivers conference. Um, and on the first, we're actually doing a reading of a few authors. And then there's another event during the day where um, the former governor of Wisconsin is coming to speak along with Marianne Drummond, who is a nurse and a, an author and a, she's written a, both a caregiving guide and a, a book for children. Um, she will be speaking. And basically this past um, August, uh, one of the founders and I uh, attended the Charlotte um, Alzheimer's Association Western Carolina Chapter Dementia Education Conference. And we had a table with over 60 of our authors' books that had been donated. And so we were there basically to just offer some hope and some inspiration. We also uh, did some breakout sessions and shared our stories um, in our books. And, you know, we really just wanted to let people know that they weren't alone, that there was a, a community. And our books range from, I think I'd said before, children's books to novels, to memoirs, to caregiving guides, books of poetry, devotions. I mean, we, we have something for just about everybody. Um, there are guides for people who are, um, living with a spouse and trying to care for them. There are guides for um, just each step of the way and each different segment of the disease. Um, and just finding all of these women, for me, that was just such a gift because, um, again, I may have mentioned this, but we really felt like we were sisters and, you know, nobody understood what we'd been through as well as they did. And so to, to suddenly find a community of over, we have 160 plus authors, 170 maybe, um, of books and blogs all about Alzheimer's and dementia. And so to, to find this many people and there are women and men, um, and we even have uh, some books written by people who have um, early onset Alzheimer's or um, dementia themselves. So there's just such a wide variety of resources and to be able to share those resources with caregivers has just been such, so gratifying and something that I so, you know, wanted and needed when I was going through it myself, that to actually be, be on the other end and go, look, we have something for you. Um, it was just such an incredible experience. And we're, we're so excited about all the different events that are coming up and opportunities to meet caregivers and to just um, offer them. I mean, I, I really believe that books can save lives. Um, I am an English major and I 
have just always been attracted to stories. And so I, I just love that when you read a good story, it takes you on a journey. And if you've been a caregiver, as you have, you know that that journey is rocky and difficult. And it, it's a, a path that not everybody wants to travel. But if it's a really good book, it takes you not just over the rocks, but it also takes you to the scenic views so that you have a, a new perspective and you can actually embrace um, and get a sense that this is this is a season in life. This is not everything. And I just, I love the fact that good books offer hope and they really can bring bring people to a new place. And so that's, um, it's just such a gift to be a part of all's authors and a community where there are so many wonderful books to share. Is there a spot where they're all categorized together? Yes. Um, you can go to allsauthors.com and that's A-L-Z authors.com. And there's a, a bookstore. And if you just click on the bookstore link, what we do at allsauthors.com is each week we feature a new book and an author will write the story behind the story of their book. Um, basically what brought them to write their story. And each one is about Alzheimer's and dementia. And um, so you can read the blog and all the blog posts. And we're actually getting ready to put out an anthology of our first year posts. Um, and so that's going to be available probably in the next month or so. Um, but if you're just looking to, to find a particular type of book, if you go to our bookstore, which is on allsauthors.com, um, you can easily find um, any of the 170 plus books. It's definitely something for everybody, it sounds like. Yes, yes. And as I say, when I was going through it, I can remember in the wee hours of the morning, I would sit with my laptop perched on my knees and I was searching any and every site for books that shared personal stories just because I so wanted to know that I wasn't alone. And I wanted to know that the craziness that I was living with my mom that somebody else understood. And even if their craziness looked a little different, I wanted to know that they got it and that they, they survived and that, you know, this, there was purpose in it and there was meaning. And that is something that I, I hope to be able to share in my book. That sounds terrific. Now, does the all's authors have any events coming up in Northern California, perhaps? You know, not yet, but we do. One of our management team is from Washington State, and we have several all's authors that live in California. And a couple of them have actually contacted me and said, hey, if you do an event in California, I'd love to participate. So I would not be surprised if um, that won't be coming soon. Hopefully so. And I'll agree. certainly let you know. Yeah, definitely. I'm not, I mean, Southern California is only a plane ride. It's not too horrible a drive. It's actually a really boring drive. And I have a hybrid, so I can do that or fly. And San Francisco is just a train ride away. So it's not difficult to 
to get to someplace other than the very far suburb of San Francisco, which is where I live. Oh, yes. <laughs> We're yes. as far out as you can get and still be considered part of the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm, yes. Well, I love the fact, Jen, that you are providing these conversations because I think I mentioned in one of my emails to you, my mother believed in conversation. She was a writer uh, like I am, and she was really the one who taught me the value and the meaning of writing. But she always said that conversations can change the world. And I, I totally believe that by giving voice to the things that we're going through on a daily basis, the challenges, the difficulties, the successes, the failures, those are the things that draw us together as a community. And, you know, they make us friends. They give us, you know, the stories that we share with each other. They give us hope. They give us an, an opportunity to sort of look at our lives and go, well, maybe we can do better or it's okay. We did as, as well as we could. And um, I just, I love that you are providing this opportunity for people to share their stories and for you to share your story and for others to listen and, and trust that they aren't alone and that there are people who are, even if it's just in the cyber world, we're coming beside them. It was part of the, the impetus for starting the podcast was I did some deep internet research similar to what you were talking about a minute ago, trying to find ways to connect and to, to have less frustrating visits because I, you know, I had a migraine on Monday. I seriously didn't want to deal with my mom, but I went and I, you know, because uh -huh. it's important. I can't just leave her in the care community, in the memory community and let them deal with her because she's my mom. But right. I realized that finding the information is difficult, partly because everybody's different. I would find information, but it wouldn't apply or it wouldn't work. And mm -hmm. so I kept going back to square one and I, I'm a reader, but mm -hmm. I, and I, but I also realized there was times when I just couldn't sit down in the evening and read a book about Alzheimer's because I'd already been dealing with my mom. And I really like podcasts while I'm driving or cooking or retouching portraits. And I thought I should find one that'll help me. And I didn't find one. So I thought, one, people caring for their family at home don't have time mm -hmm. for research and lots of reading and, and coming up short anyway. Mm-hmm they can listen to a podcast while they're doing all the other hundred daily chores that have to be done and, and coping with their family members. So that was, that was the reason for starting the podcast. And it's been absolutely fantastic. I've learned a lot. I've helped people. It's, it's been wonderful. And I'm, That's, that is great. It sounds like we're so on the same wavelength and we're just offering the same thing um, in different modalities. And, you know, there are, everybody's different, just like each Alzheimer's journey is different and each caregiver is different. And some people love podcasts. Some people love books. Some people love Facebook. Some people love Twitter, you know, just everybody needs something different, but to 
to put it out there um, so that there's a smorgasbord for people to to choose from and to find what they need. I just, I think that is such a gift and I just salute you for doing that. Well, thank you. I, I think it's helpful. I don't like to sit and read at my computer. So I don't do a lot of the Facebook caregiving groups because some of those just, they're kind of hard to get through. I think it's just the format of Facebook and sure. I haven't really connected with other caregivers on Twitter, but I have with podcasters and that's been fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, I do read and I do internet research and I talk to people. So it's kind of nice to have a variety because, you know, maybe today you're just like, I just can't cope with listening to somebody else talk about Alzheimer's or I just don't feel like reading. You know, maybe you can listen or, read something it's just I think in the last 10 years we have more options for support and advice and help like you said so we don't feel like we're totally alone absolutely we have so many more opportunities um, to to give people what they need I was just thinking as you were talking um, motherhood lost and found is on audio and I should send you a copy um, so you can listen and you don't have to read That would be wonderful. I'd love that. And like I said in our email, I did put you on my favorite things page, which thank you. Yours is the only book I haven't read yet. I was planning on it. So just I have to get through the novel first that I'm reading. I need it a little because life's been so crazy. I'm like, you know what? I just need fiction for a little bit. I'll send you a copy of the audio and you can, uh, if that's easier for you, whatever is, um, you no, that'd be great. Cause then I don't know. I drive my husband crazy. He, he works. And if he's working from home, he's in the, the kitchen and I'll go in there to make dinner and I got my earbuds in and he'll start talking to me and I'll hold up a finger. Hold on. And I pause and he's like, never mind. I'm like, no, no, I already paused it. Now tell me what you wanted to tell me. Right. <laughs> but he has a tendency to talk to himself or take a phone call. I'm like, we were in the middle of a conversation and now you're, you're off somewhere else. So I'm just going to listen to Somebody explained to me the big headline in the news today, or mm-hmm. I've gotten now through Twitter. I listen to independent podcasts like mine, and a lot of them are funny. It's interesting because the true crime genre, I mean, there must be, that must be the most popular type of podcast out there. Interesting. Everybody seems to be doing one of those. I'm like, well, Okay. <laughs> I'm just over here with my little Alzheimer's advice podcast. Oh, I just love that you're doing that though, because it is so needed. So, so needed. Well, thank you, because there's days I wonder. <laughs> oh, it is definitely. I mean, and again, because I think the caregiving journey can be so lonely. And I know for me, being when I was in my 30s and nobody else in my age group was dealing with Alzheimer's. I felt particularly alone, but I think also when you're caring for somebody, you know, this with Alzheimer's or dementia, it's hard to maintain other parts of your life. So you are kind of cut off from your community. And so to have a friendly voice and a voice that you trust, a voice sharing stories of something that um, just that you can connect with really means the world. Oh, thank you. 
You're welcome. So do you have any last tidbit of advice before we call it an afternoon, evening for you? Um, yeah, I guess I would just reiterate that um, in the same way that podcasts can really change the world, I, I do believe that good literature and well-written memoirs and novels can be so uplifting and that good books, um, they can change you, they can give you a perspective, um, they can lift you out of the, the gray mist and morass of caregiving and really uh, give you a sense that you have a true purpose and there's hope and there's a meaning beyond um, just that sort of sticky uh, difficult situation that you happen to be in today. There's really something much bigger than that. And I, I just, um, as you can tell, I love stories, uh, whether they're written or spoken, it's all the same to me. And it just, um, it means the world to be able to connect with others through our stories. And so that's just what I hope to do with my book and through talking on a podcast like this. And I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to connect with you, Jen. Well, thank you so much. And like I said, the book Motherhood Lost and Found is on the fadingmemoriespodcast.com website on the favorite things page. And I'll listen to the audio and give everybody my feedback because I'm sure it's really good. I haven't met too many caregivers that started their caregiver journey as young as you did. That's even worse than me. So I'm sure that's a good story for a lot of people to hear, even if they're care they're that age caring for grandparents. Mm. Helping with well, there's a lot of people in my support group that the grandkids help out a lot. Yes, it's truly a a, a family caregiving affair. In fact, that's the title of our November first event uh, where three all's authors will be reading it's a family caregivers affair because uh, we have a children's author and a, a teen or young adult author and then myself and just trying to cover all the different age groups uh, because truly everybody is affected well I'm going to connect one of my past guests her name is Haley and she and her mom are taking care of her grandfather, her mom's dad, mm -hmm. and she's a writer, and she wrote a blog post called From Oatmeal Cookies to Soup on a Plate. It's about her journey so far with her grandfather. She oh, wow. 14, I believe. Oh, my god! I definitely think she would be interested in learning more about you guys, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to email her the link to this episode when it posts, but I'll also t email her the link to your guys' website because I'm sure it could benefit her and her Instagram account name is writing is my passion. So I think oh, there's great. a shared uh, passion there. I should, I should definitely connect you guys all together. That would be wonderful. Well, I appreciate your time this evening and I look forward to reading more about the Alzheimer's authors and and everything you guys are doing. And I hope you come to Northern California soon. Thanks so much. I will definitely let you know when that happens. And All I righty. You too. Okay. Have a good evening. 
Thanks, Jen. Appreciate Uh you having me on. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I did having it. And definitely check out the All's Authors page. There are tons of great books there. There's definitely something for everyone. I'm checking it out more myself as I have more time to read. I've linked it in the show notes so it's easy to find. And until next week, I hope all of your caregiving is as smooth and easy as possible. There's so much useful information out there and so much we need to know to take care of our parents and our own families. And I know sometimes it's really hard to gather all this information together in a short period of time in a way you can access easily. And that's the whole point of this podcast. I share what I've learned taking care of my parents and especially my mom and all the researching of information I do for these podcast episodes. I hope you're finding them useful and hopefully a little entertaining as well. If you are, could you do me a favor? Can you go to Apple iTunes and leave a rating or even a quick review? This is how new people find my podcast, and I can't be a supportive podcast if people don't know about me. As always, I'll chat with you again next week. Definitely check out the show notes or even the webpage for each episode. I include a lot of additional useful information every week. And definitely check out the My Favorite Things page because I created that specifically so that you did not have to hunt down some of the best books and tools to utilize with your loved one. Now, stay tuned at the end of the episode because I've got something special coming up for you again. MBK Senior Communities is dedicated to being the preferred senior living provider in the markets they serve. They create warm, inviting living spaces in desirable locations. They offer a variety of services and programs to enrich the lives of residents and their families. And by getting to know their residents, their personal preferences, and their individual needs, MBK Senior Communities can better contribute to their well-being and provide care that's right for them. They are committed to enhancing independence and quality of life, serving others the way they prefer to be treated, and providing care that is delivered with integrity, dignity, and compassion. Currently serving the Western United States, but expanding. Why not contact your local community for a tour and see for yourself why most of their residents say they felt at home from their very first visit? You can get more information by visiting their website at mbk seniorliving.com or call 949-242-1400. Do you and your loved one completely disagree on what to watch on TV? Then maybe the podcast, for better or worse, is for you. Jason and Aaron, a married couple with wildly different tastes in entertainment, force each other to watch some of their favorite TV shows, Sometimes the outcome is funny, and sometimes it's interesting. So take a listen to their promo. Hello, everybody. This is Jason. And Aaron. And we are the hosts of the For Better or Worse podcast. Like most couples, we have pretty different tastes. There's a lot of things we agree on, of course, but it can be pretty difficult to find something to watch at the end of the day. She likes comedies, love stories, and dramas. And he likes anime, horror, sci-fi, and fantasy. So we both thought it would be fun to force each other to watch our favorite movies, shows, or anything else we can think of, and record it here for you guys. The show is a lot of fun, and it's not always torture. Sometimes we actually come around to each other's side. We would love for you guys to give us a shot. 
So download For Better or Worse anywhere you listen to your favorite shows and join us in the fun. We can't wait to share our experiences with you.